Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. We are joined by Rabbi John Spira Savet for his talk, Tov, What I've Learned About Jewish Ethics by Studying the Good Place. And we are thrilled to be partnering with BMHBJ in Denver on this program. So I will pass it over to Rabbi Chetovsky to introduce today's guest speaker. Thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. We're delighted to uh, have Rabbi John Spira Savet with us. Um, he is the rabbi for the past 15 years of Temple Beth Aaron in Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire, and is the co-host of a podcast called Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Uh, rabbi Spira Savet has taught social ethics, bioethics, environmental ethics in Jewish day schools and other venues um, he serves on the Ethics Committee of the Southern New Hampshire Medical Center in Nashua. His writings and recordings about Torah and current events are on his blog at rabbijohn.net. He's the immediate past president of the Nashua Area Interfaith Council, a co-convener of the Greater Nashua Housing Justice Group, and co-founder of How to Be President, an initiative to transform how we learn about candidates by asking better questions. He was ordained and received an MA in Jewish education from the Jewish Theological Seminary, is an active alum of Wexner Graduate Fellowship and did undergraduate work at Harvard College. He grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, a proud alum of the Talmud Torah of St. Paul to which he owes his interest in ethical philosophy, text study, and Hebrew language. We're in for a treat. Give your attention to Rabbi John Spira Savet. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you, partners, and uh, thank you to the Valley Beit Midrash. I'm so honored to be teaching. Uh, Rev Shmuley is one of the people I greatly admire in the world uh, for his engagement around the kinds of ideas that I'm talking about today. Uh, it's good to see everyone. I have at least one familiar face here, and uh, it's great to, to be talking to you all and those who may be hearing it later on, on YouTube or, uh, or on the VBM podcast. I am nervous uh, for three reasons and not just the usual boilerplate of uh, what people say in a self-deprecating way. One is I usually have this conversation with other people. It's usually me and one or two other partners on a podcast. Uh, partly because that makes me smarter myself, kind of in real time and probably sounding in the moment, and uh, partly because of the banter and the laughter. So uh, <laughs> uh, the other is that even though we have recorded more than 50 episodes of this podcast uh, called Tov, Tov means the Hebrew word for good, uh, I've actually only taught like three interactive sessions about the good place ever and given maybe three divrei Torah uh, from the pulpit. And uh, it's mostly always been like one thing at a time, not trying to take a, a bird's eye view, uh, much more the method of midrash of exploring together than the, the method of uh, mishnah or codification 
Uh, and it's uh, so much more interesting over time to do what the good place itself does and what our podcast does, which is to, to loop again and again over a theme. And of course, that's how we study Torah over, over time as well. Uh, also, and I have <laughs> one congregant here, um, if I speak for 15 minutes, you know, just uh, at, at a time, that's a long talk uh, <laughs> my congregation and so trying to talk for uh, for much more extensively is uh, is not my usual is not my usual thing so um, anyway to answer those three of my own personal nervousnesses I'm going to try to pepper this with some clips um, audio at least if the video doesn't work from the TV show and also from our podcast um, to get in other voices and hopefully you'll you'll hear me laugh and you'll laugh yourselves even if you're muted and see some faces uh, moving with laughter as well um, uh, this talk is kind of a first draft um, as I try to zero in on some learning that has been surprising to me uh, for myself. And uh, rather than try to cover everything that anyone might learn from The Good Place, um, I want to sort of do it from a bit of a personal point of view. And um, and if you really want uh, more, I just ur urge you to watch The Good Place. Um, watch it again. If you've watched it, watch it again and again. And listen to our podcast, Tove, on all the apps or tovegoodplace.com, or, or just scroll down our title list and pick a topic that seems to grab your interest. Before I jump in further, I want to say thank you, uh, because it has taken a collaboration of so far 19 Jewish educators, including Rav Shmuley from the Valley Beit Midrash, two undergraduate underclass women, including my daughter Leela, and three people who are insiders who actually worked on The Good Place to, to put our podcast together. And um, among the co-hosts, the most frequent have been uh, my fellow uh, colleagues, rabbis, and also Wexner Graduate Fellowship alums, uh, Rabbi Rebecca Rosenthal, Rabbi Dan Ross, and Rabbi Sari Laufer, Laufer. We've done most of the recording together. And I want to give a shout out to my teacher at the Talmud Torah of St. Paul, as was referenced, Earl Schwartz, who um, engaged us in a lot of explicit ethical dialogue when I was in, in Hebrew high, and to Professor Michael Sandel at Harvard University, where I took my first uh, official class in, in moral and political philosopher. So why did I start to think that someone could learn Torah uh, with a good place? I started to watch the show when it came out, and, um, and there were two things that kind of grabbed me, one immediately and one over time. The thing that grabbed me immediately was the idea that these people were teaching philosophy, philosophy ethical philosophy, explicitly, um, putting it at the center, using the words, even like having a blackboard in the show, and that, uh, and that it would work and uh, be funny and also seem relevant to practical issues of decision making in people's lives. And I was, uh, in my own story, I have to say that um, after I began to study as an undergraduate a little bit of ethical philosophy, I began to, to tire of the abstraction, which actually sent me uh, toward more toward Torah study and Talmud study, looking for concreteness. And here was something which looked like it brought that back, and I was fascinated. And over time, once I once I started to watch the show more consistently, um, what what really screamed out at me was that this was a show about teshuva. Teshuva is the word that we uh, in Judaism use to describe the process of personal change repentance, quote unquote, you've heard that word, uh, return, going back. And the show over and over again riffs on the idea of, of going back um, to one's life and over one's life um, through the character of Eleanor Shellstrap, who's played by, by Kristen Bell. And uh, so there are plenty of movies and plays and TV, everything good, whether it's funny or drama, um, kind of does this with, uh, with ethics and, and probes those, but it's rarely named as the explicit agenda. 
and that they do it and that it's hilarious. It's just amazing. As I said, actual blackboards with philosophy lectures and notes, whether they refer to them or sometimes just if we're going to stop the screen or, or uh, to, to watch them is incredible. Um, so I was kind of caught with this idea. And I want to just give an amazing shout out to the creator, Michael Schur, um, who uh, and his vision for this and his organizing such an amazing creative crew of writers and people in front of and back of the camera, all the pre and post production stuff. Um, I want to be clear before I talk uh, more that I don't claim that the show is Jewish or religious or that talking about the show is always the same as learning Torah, uh, just that you might find some Torah insights and uh, and and it's like be some way that you like to illuminate some Torah, broadly speaking, and see a text in a new way that also leads to personal insight. So, um, so I'm going to be talking about, uh, as I say, kind of personal, what I have learned, not everything, we only have so much time. And uh, based also on my own personal moral growth agenda and some of the philosophical questions I wrestle with when I think about my life. Um, you could chat if you want. Uh, I'm not sure I can manage all the <laughs> all the uh, media playing and chat monitoring to, in real time, but if I can't, at least we'll we'll grab those things for questions and conversation later on. I'm going to presume that you know the show, so I'm going to slowly say a couple of things so that if you don't and don't want to hear spoilers or things like that, you'll you'll think that your $18 contribution to the Valley Beat Midrash was a good thing, and you'll you'll go off, watch the show, and uh, and and catch up on this after. Uh, but let me summarize in uh, in a couple of sentences what the good place is, and uh, it's such an injustice to try to to codify these kinds of things. And um, as I say, spoilers, and I'm going to use material, you know, we'll, we'll share some, some clips from the show. It's got language that I typically would not use from the pulpit. The basic idea of The Good Place is that a woman named Eleanor dies and finds herself in The Good Place, which is a kind of heaven, but she doesn't belong because she did not, in fact, lead a good life. So she seeks help there uh, from a moral philosopher who is also there named Chidi. It turns out, uh, as he tries also to teach her explicitly ethics, uh, they're actually in a bad place, torture experiment, along with several other people. Eventually, they outwit the demon in charge, uh, called Michael, played by Ted Danson. Uh, they win him over, and together they work on improving themselves and creating a better system for moral evaluation of human beings for eternity. So let me dive into my first uh, cluster of what I have learned or been learning. It's about the concept of teshuva. So I'm going to first play you a few clips and then loop back to a, a, a text of, of Torah and uh, remind ourselves about Eleanor. So the first clip is, is Eleanor's confession in the first episode of The Good Place that she does not uh, belong where they are. So um, <laughs> so there we are. And um, I can't show you the clip, as I say, for some reason, the video won't uh, display. Uh, but there is, uh, subsequently, we get Eleanor's flashback of the visual of all of that, which you have just seen uh, as she's hit by this truck. But at the, um, what's kind of key is something that happens at the end of the second season, when Eleanor is brought back to that moment, and she doesn't die 
and I'm going to see if I can make it good enough. What happens is everything you would have seen in that visual that was just described happens, except that the truck does not. She's she's pushed out of the way by someone from this truck. So now what happens is that uh, Eleanor is coming to go back to the store, the place where she almost died. This is very much almost classic out of Jewish sources. And um, the environmental organizer, who she has dissed so many times, um, she's going to speak. So um, so that is the first kind of turn which goes uh, which goes in this uh, example of Chuva. So let's talk a little bit about that in connection with uh, with uh, Maimonides, with Rambam. Uh, what I wanted to say was what comes after that, where Rambam talks about what is Chuva Gmura, what is what is complete Chuva, and it is when a person comes back to the same situation, um, is confronted with the possibility of making the same error, and uh, uh, chooses to act differently. And Rambam says, for the sake of tshuva, for the sake of changing, and not because they didn't have the, not because they no longer had the capacity to make the same ba bad decision they made before, or they weren't physically able, or they, you know, uh, something about them didn't have that, but it was really for that, for that sake. And that is the the absolute kind of uh, ma'ala or key element of tshuva. And uh, so there are a few key elements in this idea of returning. One is that you go back to the same situation and you make a different choice and you make it freely and knowingly, even though maybe you are not uh, a completely different person just yet, or maybe you are as a result of becoming either completely or, or on your way. And in Rambam, this is very much oriented around a decision moment. It's described as about a particular choice and requires a kind of self-awareness, which includes, and I didn't really realize this until starting to talk about the episodes of The Good Place, uh, the ability to remember exactly what it is that, that happened and, um, and who you were and what went into that moment. So we have this moment of Eleanor's death, which uh, returned as a chuva opportunity. And this moment of confession to, to Chidi that becomes also a moment that in the show has to be returned to for both of them. She explores what it means to be in this predicament of, of uh, having led a not good life and uh, being potentially caught as a fraud in the good place. Um, even just for her to understand which is the problem that she's working on. Is it just she's trying to wriggle out of a bad uh, situation or is it that she wants to to understand herself and change and then Chidi um, has to reckon with his absolute belief in promises he is a moral philosopher he professes to be a Kantian that there are universal laws there are rules that you don't break or change because of the situation he's been sort of duped into making a promise that he'll that he'll never abandon her and now he believes he has to stick to that promise and now has to consider what that promise means in light of over and over being confronted with situations about her. I think the moment of the return to the, the parking lot, which happens when she's essentially sent back to do her life over from, uh, from that moment, is a genius dramatization of Rambam's teaching of Chuva is going back. And, uh, and I should say that it's even more genius because we as the viewer have seen this scene before. So we know that she's doing Chuva, uh, but in a wrinkle, she doesn't. Um, she maybe has a sense that something is going on, but what, but what she does isn't what Rambam would call tshuva, maybe, in that sense. And then there are these other instances of tshuva that happen in this show. Uh, for instance, there is this idea of, um, of rebooting. So in the beginning of the second season of the show, um, this torture experiment, uh, Michael, Ted Danson's character, attempts to recreate it over and over again, and he does it more than 800 times. Um, in this scene, what happens is that... Uh, uh, 
Eleanor goes, they go to a place that they're escaping this kind of uh, fake good place to a place that's called the middle place where they encounter a woman named Mindy Sinclair. That's a whole other story we don't have time to do who gets this. She lives there on her own in a kind of suspension between the good place and the bad place. So um, there are a couple more. So in this case, um, they go back to some place again where they don't realize they've been before, but someone else with a different standpoint realizes they've been there and they've sort of rehashed their predicament of how are they going to get out of it. They're stuck in the same way and someone has, uh, has watched them do this. Um, there are other wrinkles on the idea of tshuva. Um, in another version, instead of, re uh, it sort of picks up where the, uh, where Eleanor goes back and, uh, encounters the uh, environmental activists in the supermarket parking lot. Um, that storyline kind of continues. They all end up uh, finding Chidi, the philosopher in, in real life, who teaches now at a, at a university in Australia. Um, they go back to, uh, uh, they go back there and a series of things lead them to focus on Chuva for other people. And I'm gonna, as I say, I'm gonna have to narrate this just because the, the, the next part is kind of visually required. Um, so we have this character uh, called Tahani Al-Jamil. She's another one of the humans who uh, thought she was actually good, actually, but ends up having been brought to this bad place experiment. And Tahani's issue is that she is kind of self-important. She's, she's kind of a, from an upper crust a British family, and she's tortured by the fact that her sister, whose name is Camilla, um, has sort of, in the eyes of the world and her parents, has outdone her in every area. Tahani has been a philanthropist, but her sister Camilla has been a greater philanthropist. Um, uh, Camilla is a, is a famous artist, and, uh, and in fact, Tahani died. Um, the story of her death is that she went to confront her sister um, who did not invite her to one of her openings and uh, she was crushed by a she pulls down a sculpture that her sister has created and she uh and she is uh crushed by it and so she's like literally um essentially crushed by her own envy of her of her sister and um so in this other iteration what happens is that the this group of four humans all go back down to earth and uh, for a variety of reasons they end up figuring out that the thing they should do is not to help themselves get back get into earn their way into the good place but to help other people in their lives by going back including to some of the people who have who have uh, contributed to the the flaws in their own character and uh, tahani finds her sister um, at yet another art installation and she has this realization um, that their uh, how their parents have pit them against each other and she breaks the cycle of conflict in, a, in an incredible embrace and um, there's a whole series of things including where eleanor goes to visit her her mother who was a terrible mother and um and this idea of chuva as going back finding other people and that returning to places in your life not to change your destiny but to help somebody else change their destiny whether they know they are going to do that or not is just really maybe the most incredible idea of chuva i might have ever heard um at the same time, the show kind of takes a uh, takes a critique on Rambam, uh, and so the it seems like in Rambam's classic teaching there is uh, moments can be tests of tshuva. You come back to this moment, and do you react? differently. So um, the story about Chidi, the moral philosopher, is that um, one of his uh, flaws in life was indecision. The ability, you know, maybe this is why he's a moral philosopher, uh, his uh, uh, inability to kind of resolve between one reasonable conception and another. And uh, there's a story involving his, uh, his best friend who invites him to be the best man at his wedding, and he is unable to make any decisions about how to throw the bachelor party or, or any other kinds of things. And uh, 
uh, and it turns out actually his uh, on the day of the wedding, he's not dressed. He doesn't know what to, to do. And his friend uh, confronts him and says, the wedding is actually not today. This has been a whole setup uh, just to show you that you're unable to, to do anything uh, to be my friend because you can't make a single decision. They go out to have an argument. And in the middle of uh, Chidi explaining why it's important to see things from all ends, an air conditioner falls out of the apartment building and, uh, and crushes him. And um, and so there is a later episode where the people kind of earn their way to to being in front of a, a judge um, who is played by the wonderful Maya Rudolph. And uh, as you uh, again, hopefully you've watched the show, you know, and she puts them through each of them. She creates a little uh, test for them. And, um, and in Chidi's room, there are simply two hats and he just simply stares uh, one way uh, and another way, unable to to make a decision between which hat is the best hat for him. And I think that this particular episode, which is called the test, is is meant actually to be a bit of critique of this idea that we can too too much boil down the quality of our lives and our moral character to um, to an instance of decision that somehow stands for all the decisions that we have made. And um, I think the show um, is illustrating all these other much more rich and embedded. Um, uh, returns that are not taking some essential element one thing at a time that we can look at, isolate, and make a, a decision of moral will. Um, the uh, uh, so the thing that um, that has really affected me, I think, the most um, is the dimension uh, that I think reflects in Rambam's teaching, which is about memory. Um, I mentioned that Eleanor um, has this. Uh, experience where we see that she's doing she's going back to these places in her lives um where there are these uh, reboots that uh, that she's a part of but she doesn't realize that they've happened and um uh, but finally the people when they're in their sort of uh, again second iteration of their their human life a life on earth um uh finally are sort of let in on what's going on and uh and they learn this concept from from michael the demon who's orchestrated this all called jeremy Baramy. So this was kind of the moment in the show that almost uh, broke me as well. And uh, because one of the presumptions about chuva is that our life unfolds in a, in a pattern, in order to go back, we have to have an awareness of things that happened in the past, it seems so obvious. And I didn't really understand this until my podcast conversation with uh, Mark Israel, a fellow rabbi, um, who brought up, um, and I wasn't expecting this at all, the fact that in the uh, he made an analogy to, in the Torah, the concept of in muktamva in Torah, that in the Torah, um, things appear to happen in a sequence in the text or in the scroll. Um, but the rabbis are insistent sometimes that things um, didn't happen in the order they seem to have, or that maybe the order in which they're presented to us isn't important. And he, and he references the story of the golden hat, calf, the Egel Hazahav, um, which, the, which the commentators debate whether it happened before the instructions for the tabernacle were given or whether the tabernacle was somehow a response to the sin of the golden calf, some kind of um, uh, need for the people to, to compensate for that or whether it was sort of all part of the plan. And, and as we were talking about that, he was saying that um, sometimes what happens in our lives is that we don't really have a good control over the, the thing, the sense of what happened in the, the sequence of our lives, how we remember things. And also that people who we thought we were done with in our lives either because we thought they were insignificant to our lives or we thought we had put a certain friendship or relationship behind, kind of come back and surprise us, um, loop back. And, uh, and, and suddenly we realize that a, that a time that was past is actually present and some things that we thought had happened were, were sort of yet to happen in our future. And, um, and I really, uh, 
I really have been thinking about this a lot. We have talked on the on the podcast a good deal about the idea in in our high holiday liturgy in the Unatanatok of prayer of the the notion of there being a, a book of our memories um, that we don't necessarily remember, but that the divine remembers. A sefer zikronot that we've all written down in our own hand and it's read out uh, from us. And um, and eventually what happens is that uh, the show sort of plays this idea that memory is something that we don't always have um, a, a total access to. So there is a, a whole lot going on in the show talking about um, how how we relate to our own memories and how we think about the the memories that other people have of us and also how kind of some objective record in this accounting department, which we encounter in uh, season three, um, has the like official record of our lives, which is a much less appealing version of the High Holidays, um, Sefer Zechronot. And in the end, what happens in the show is that the people suggest that a rather than us be judged at one point, one time in our existence for, for all eternity, um, that we be uh, judged when our life ends, our, our natural life ends, and that um, we be given some uh, test in which we reflect on our lives and our and our develop something that's personalized assessment to us. And if we don't pass, if we haven't really reached a good enough point, we're returned to Earth to kind of do some more. And um, and we rather than getting all our memories back, we get some uh, either curated trace of our memories, which enables us to to move forward and to, to, to use some version of them. But it's not some kind of manual, some sort of detailed autobiography of ourselves that's sitting outside of us that then we then have to take in. Um, so, wow, there's a lot of stuff there about about Rambam. And, uh, and I've thought about his teaching as a way of really concretizing the idea of tshuva as being about particular moments. And so I've been left to kind of wonder what it is about, um, uh, do I continue to accept his view, which is so appealing because it's concrete and it's about free will and free choice. And I think that I accept that basic idea that it is on the one hand up to me um, to find my way back to places where I need to do tshuva. Um, but the good place revisions are so interesting. They involve a group of people or they involve um, others, not just as objects, people I've wronged, for instance, but as a team or my team or people who uh, need to do it together um, for uh, uh, this is a good a good way of thinking about tshuva. And sometimes tshuva isn't because I chose to be in a place and recognize the situation, but because the situation um, kind of found me again, whatever it was that placed me back there, and that I have to recognize that there's a purpose for seeing a resonance that wasn't anticipating. So I see all these as kind of uh, riffs and modifications of Rambam's tshuva, a way to take the uh, the chocolate of uh, of his teaching and to insert some some tasty peanut butter to that as well. Um, I think that what I want to do is talk about because there's so much that that I have one more one more thing that is um, I think Ben has been important to me and even though it is uh, uh, kind of again in the in the the, the ten thousand feet view I want to um, I want to talk about it which is the question that I personally wrestle with. Uh, which is of how how good do I personally have to be um, and how do I measure myself? And in a way, I think that this is something that the show sets up as between the, the Western philosophies of consequentialism or virtue ethics. In other words, is there some kind of, uh, as the pilot sets out, some kind of point system where everybody is assigned based on the, each. if I do a good act and you do the same good act, it has the same kind of point value. Is that how it works? Um, or is there something that's more rooted and individualized to me and who I am? 
um, I think in my own life about people who are um, who are incredible and sort of parallel to me and doing great things. I saw uh, Rav Shmuley pop in here uh, briefly. Um, he and I uh, know each other from before. We have some similar backgrounds and concerns and even intellectual profiles. Um, but you know, I still have both of my kidneys. I haven't given that away. I have only one institution that I am responsible for, plus this podcast, as opposed to, to several and several podcasts as well. So um, in Rambam, for instance, we have this idea that the world is either literally or figuratively on some kind of point system. In Rambam's Hilchot Shiva, he does discuss a kind of system for totaling up our points based on our actions and how our successes mount and how our failures are counted against us. Um, but there's this famous teaching that we should see the world as having a, a scale. And at the moment, it is balanced between the same number of plus points and minus points. And our next action, plus or minus, will decree the destiny of the world. That certainly seems like a kind of consequentialist point of view. And I think if we look at the Judaism Begadol in a big sense, the, the Exodus story, um, clearly Judaism is foundationally about a, a consequentialism about tikkun olam. We can't see even our individual spiritual disciplines um, without seeing their connection to the story of the Exodus and what that's supposed to mean for our role in the world. Um, and for me, the character who has been uh, so interesting to uh, to think about in the show is the character of Jason Mendoza. One of the things that we do um, in the podcast is we talk, you know, season by season, what character do I think I'm the most like? Do I wish I was more like? And the rabbis and the other educators who've been on the show are very divided about the character of Jason, who is... Uh, been compared to the, uh, in a sense, to the simple uh, child of the Pesach uh, narrative. If you've seen any of these kind of Pesach good place memes, um, he is someone who has a, a kind of uh, narrow and silly view of the world, who thinks that everything can be uh, resolved by the throwing of a, a Molotov cocktail or a plea bargain or something like that. Um, and yet Jason becomes the one who really is the spokesman for the idea of um, of, of who, who am I and my own authenticity. And um, if again, if we had the, this requires so much visual, I'm not gonna play this back just in audio, but when we meet him, he is someone who's been uh, forced to represent himself as a silent monk, uh, contemplative and quiet and reflective, which he's the opposite of. He's this impulsive character, but he's the one who talks most about, about kind of who am I and who is my best self and how and, and fulfilling one's own destiny. And it's very much the, the teaching of Reb Zussia, the famous teaching about uh, when I reach the, the, the gates of the good place, I won't be asked why was I not Moshe Rabbeinu, but why was I not uh, Zussia? And um, so we've kind of talked again and again in the podcast about this question of, uh, am I supposed to become uh, you know, some version of me? Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think it's worth thinking about. And the show does some brilliant things with, uh, with this in a couple of ways. Uh, and I think with this, maybe I'll take my, my stop after this and maybe take your kind of questions and we'll, we'll bounce off of it. There is an episode in the third season, which is called Janet's. Um, and so again, assuming you know the show, Janet is this uh, uh, character who is neither a, a human being nor a demon, but she represents as a, a human. And in order at this one particular key moment to protect them all from destruction, she takes them into herself, into what's called her void, this white place. And, um, and suddenly all the characters in the, uh, all the human characters look like her and they can only be distinguished by, by dress. And, uh, and there is this moment where everything is about to come apart uh, because Eleanor articulates that she cannot remember who she is. And you see in visual these images of her 
visually becoming all these different people, male and female and black and white and tall and short, and Chidi having to speak to her and to remind her who she is, give her back her story, give her back her memories. And all this well, the world literally around them is like coming apart, disintegrating. And the moment in which she has this realization that she believes what he has said about her um, and her impact on him and on other people, and they kiss, and then everything kind of comes back together. And and again, the twist that I think is, is fascinating is the idea that it takes kind of a group, a collective. The idea of discovering who you are is not a, just an individual search. It's not just about my authenticity or my destiny. It's something that can really only be realized or even articulated in the context of um, of the relationships and the friends that, that you have. And um, there's a whole other set of things that I did not expect to, to find in the show um, that reminded me of the holiday of Purim. Um, because um, this question of there, there's a particular episode where they have to dress up as different people in order to try to pass through um, and get their audience uh, with the judge. And, um, uh, and each of them kind of uh, takes on or struggles with what it is that they look like when they're representing themselves as someone they're not. Chidi, who refuses to act the part of somebody else because he doesn't believe in lying even when it's just a, a game playing. And, um, and I've had this whole kind of wondering about whether uh, the relationship of Michael, this tall, older male, and Eleanor, um, this uh, uh, person who doesn't see herself as a leader initially, uh, whether Michael, es uh, Eleanor is like Mordechai Esther, and we, um, it's worth a listen to our, our exploration of that in connection with, uh, with Purim. And um, there's a lot about kind of self and role, which is, and how, uh, and how a role can help one uh, be oneself and how a role is really only discovered in the context of a group and a, and a chavura. Um, and in that sense, it's really a dramatization of the, of the, uh, it sort of bleeds into the issue of, uh, uh, from Yeshua ben is teaching that a person should have um, uh, have a master teacher and also have a have a friend, a study partner, a person invested in their own uh, in their own moral growth. Um, so I want to say that uh, um, I think the big question to me has been uh, that I'm still kind of working on is the question of whether study, learning Torah, discussing a TV show and Torah together actually leads to action, to teshuva. Um, we have this teaching that, uh, that the rabbis ask, uh, which is greater, study or, or, uh, or action? Is it Talmud or Ma'aseh? And they conclude that it is study that leads to action or study um, to the extent that it can be seen as, as leading to, to action. And, um, and there's this beautiful scene at the end of season two where Eleanor is reflecting on the, after she kind of has her life saved and given back to her and she um, improves herself and then falls into a rut again and she finds herself uh, at the bar talking to, it turns out to be Michael, Ted Danson, and um, sort of reflecting and he, uh, and he says some words to her, which lead her to go home. Um, uh, at the end of this conversation, she says, what do I owe you, meaning for the drinks? And he says, the question is, what do we owe each other? Uh, and somehow this plants in her mind the idea that she should be uh, reflecting and learning about that. She goes and she looks this up on YouTube. She finds a video of Chidi, who again, we realize she knows and has learned from, but she doesn't realize. And um, and she takes herself to his uh, the door of his office um, at the university in Australia to go and to learn with him. And um, and this becomes kind of the midpoint of the whole of the whole series. 
um, it is not automatic. I would say that Talmud leads to Maaseh, that study leads to Tshuva. Um, but um, but I have found that at least through the conversation and thinking about this show with my my learning partners that um, that study can help me set this agenda and um, not only help me decide to think about where are my own moments of tshuva, but to help um, give me new ideas about what that search should be. Torah is where I look for the uh, answers of where to point myself. And these conversations about tshuva and the teachings of Rambam and the teachings of Michael Schur have um, uh, have given me ideas that I then have to bring into my life. Um, I like to think of myself in intellectual terms and bringing that, even though I'm not all that learned or Torah or philosophy, I think that ideas matter. And a setting, um, any kind of Beit Midrash and the Valley Beit Midrash is where that uh, inquiry to self and inquiry to ideas and to Torah comes together and is and is valuable. So again, I'm sorry that I wasn't able through the technology to give you more of the, the clips. And I also um, skipped over a bunch of things that uh, maybe you'll turn out asking me about. Uh, but why don't I pause here and however we do questions and answers. Let's do that. Sure. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Um, yes, as you said, we'd love to open it up to questions or comments. Um, feel free to raise your hand if you would like to ask something and then unmute, or you can always use the chat. Hi, Michael. Please. Yeah. Hi. Uh, a quick question. And when they were doing the show, the connection with Teshuba and, and Jewish thought, I take it that, that had no occurrence, or was there someone in the writing staff who maybe intentionally put some elements of this in it. As far as I know, there wasn't. One of the things that's amazing is that we know that there were philosophers who were consulted um, to uh, particular uh, Pamela Hieronymi, who is um, at UCLA and Todd May, who was at a couple of universities on the East Coast. Um, we interviewed Professor May, um, who actually had a, writings about kind of death and how an awareness of death he doesn't believe in an afterlife, but how that awareness affects our, uh, perhaps our ethical stance. And Professor Hieronymi who is much more writing about issues of free will and how we define our obligations to each other. Um, as I say, we've interviewed uh, Professor May, we will be interviewing Professor Hieronymi. Um, no, um, there was real sense that this is not uh, uh, contact with Jewish thought. And Michael Schur himself is Jewish. And, um, and he's been really pretty steadfast, not to say I'm not interested in religion at all, but just to say that this is, uh, you know, the show itself kind of says, but also he has said in many interviews that he's not looking to, to sort of put a religious point of view and the, the dressing up of this in the, the afterlife and heaven, hell kinds of analogies is, is kind of for dramatic purposes. And um, I, I don't know if he would say, but I think I've always felt that the show is not really about the afterlife at all. But I think it's uncanny the way that this is about different ways of, of imaging uh, teshuva of going back. But no, I've not seen anything that has uh, uh, emanated from the creators about that. I'm hoping that we'll get uh, Mr. Schur on, the, on, our, on our show <laughs> so we can ask him about that. Alan. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question. Thanks, Rabbi. Um, if uh, we were sitting talking to sixth graders through middle school and maybe high school of young people that love this show in a Jewish setting and teaching in an ethical Jewish class. If, if there were, I hate to put you on the spot, if there were two or three things that you would say, think about this, let's talk about this 
in relation to their age, um, where might you go? Yeah. Well, one thing that I have done is uh, that I've, there's an episode in the first season that is about lying. Um, it's, if you may remember this episode where um, uh, um, I think the setting is that they've sort of figured out that to buy themselves some time, they could uh, kill slash reset Janet, who's the kind of, uh, you know, non, non-human, whatever is the, the, um, uh, and they can sort of buy themselves some time and that they do this and then they, they maybe won't tell anyone about it. Elner doesn't want to tell anyone about it. Chidi feels it's dishonest and he flashes back to the situation where somebody, um, uh, this with his colleague, a professor and, uh, and Chidi lies about this pair of boots that he doesn't like, but, uh, uh, but he says that he does in order to be nice. And it's a wonderful mapping actually onto, onto Talmudic teachings about, about uh, lies and white lies and things like that. The episode kind of stands on its own pretty well, and I've I've taught that to uh, seventh graders, and it's been uh, it's been terrific. And you can pull back from that and sort of talk about uh, kind of philosophical issues of not just you know is it nice or how do people feel, but sort of what's the basis for the idea of of truth telling. That's one place. I think I might also go um, to some version. I'm not sure about sixth graders, um, seventh graders. I think maybe you know, again, depending to this, uh, uh, this episode early in the, the show with, uh, that's called Jason Mendoza, where it is really about um, this person who uh, kind of has this, has a good spark in him and talks about what it means to become one's best self and, um, uh, but has such trouble, you know, has, has realizations uh, about that. And there's some wonderful things in that episode that have to do with the, the way one appears to the outside versus what one sees on the inside and it's kind of silly and um and musical and stuff and that also again i'm not as i said before i've only begun to think about how to pair these as a as a, a kind of jewish text methodology um other than with adults who like both of these things but those are um there's a couple of of uh of rich areas i think just the beginning of the show and the question of like can our lives be described as, you know, a series of point values for things that we do in and of itself. Um, and that I think makes a really, really good pre-high holiday conversation paired with, again, the Bonatanatokev kinds of prayers. Thank you. If, if not, I will say that, um, again, whether you have, uh, uh, if you've never watched the show, well, first of all, if you've never watched the show, watch it. If you're intrigued, if it's the kind of humor that you like, it will, it will, you'll know immediately and it will seep into you. If you have watched the show and haven't watched it with um, kind of a Jewish lens on, you could do this by yourself. You don't need our, our podcast in order to do it. And especially if you want to tee it up for, for Elul this year and think about it as part of your, your month leading to it, it, it might, it might really be great. Um, I, I say that there are people who are working on the question of, of how to translate it, you know, more, uh, more curricularly, maybe into that way, but, but on your own, it's a great and fun way. Um, one of the best things I think I, I heard and that I quoted here was from Rebecca Rosenthal, my colleague, rabbinic colleague, who said that, uh, that Yom Kippur should be a little more like some of these pause, reflective self-assessment moments in the show. And I think, uh, uh, I think thinking in a light and humorous way about these weighty issues um, doesn't just make it easier, but I think might profoundly change us. And I'm chewing on all of that too. Thank you so much, Rabbi John Spira-Savet for being with us today. And uh, thank you all for being here as well. Just want to tell you about two programs we have coming up next week. Um, on Wednesday, we will be starting a 
six-part mini-series with Rabbi Dare. Rabbi Dr. Darren Kleinberg, who's actually the original founder of VBM. So his uh, series will be on practicing Judaism in the 21st century. That'll be on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And then on Thursday, we will be joined by Rabbi Bezalel Naor, um, also at 1 p.m. for his talk, Rav Cook's Universalism. So we hope that you can tune in to um, one or both of those as well. And we hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.